Hello and welcome to this episode and podcast of Helix and Gene Medical Wellness. I'm your host, Sam Baluch. Um, today, we do not have our co-host, John the Olympio, with us as he couldn't make it, but we are welcoming a very special guest, um, Dr. Nancy Grubb. Dr. Nancy Grubb had her undergraduate degree from Bowling Green State University. She went to medical school at Ohio State College of Medicine. And she did her residency at the Mayo Graduate School of Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota. So, Dr. Grubb, welcome to the show. It's really, really uh, great having you here. And uh, we're very, very excited to cover a lot of great topics today. Ones that require that, that go over proper hormone replacement therapy, how the different hormones affect the human body, what we can do from a nutritional standpoint to look at these factors as well as a medicinal standpoint. I love Dr. Grubb's approach to all of this. She's definitely one of the smartest people I've talked to on this subject. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Dr. Nancy. Nancy Grubb. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Wow. Uh, thank you for the kind introduction. Um, yeah, I guess I've been on my journey and what you're saying, even with hormones, what can I say? I've kind of incorporated processing based on personal experience as well as uh, things that didn't go well in the traditional family practice. I know you said I graduated uh, uh, from the residency, I am a family practitioner um, by training and went into that when I was, uh, you know, out of uh, medical school and chose that profession, I think, because the curiosity gene. I just had a, I didn't know everything <laughs> and I'm still that way. So I love um, the curiosity gene. All of us that end up in the, in the areas where most people don't want to look at, <laughs> we all suffer from that curiosity gene. And that's what changes the world, by the way. Um, I would agree. And, you know, I think at the point I'm at now in my life, I've, I understand now why I picked what I did, even though what, what, what's told in medicine, oh, you better pick a specialty that's high pay and, you know, you can do this. And we're often told what to do. Hmm. I actually followed my heart and had us withstand, why are you doing that? And, and in all honesty, it's, it's a tough field because I have to assimilate people's problems and I'm empathic, I'm an intuitive, and it bothers me. Why can't I treat it? And they're coming back and they're not better. So I had a good 20 plus years of doing that in a variety of settings. So can you explain a little bit about that, how this whole journey got started, you know, from 20 years ago? Like what led you to this point today? Wow. Um, again, gratitude in the universe and learning to listen. You know, at the age of 14, I saw my dad suffer from diabetes mm -hmm. and, um, I, I, I observed the, the patient-doctor interaction. My background, I'm one of five girls. My mom was a very strong, independent woman. Um, my dad was very giving. He was a factory worker and rose up, very, very kind man, would do anything for all of us. But again, when you start to hear, oh, you should do this, you should do that, I was very gifted in being smart. I wasn't great in the looks, but you know, I was smart. So <laughs> I just went on that part. And, and so at the age of 14, seeing the interaction, he'd come home and go, oh, I, got, I have this appointment in two weeks, so I gotta be good. Uh, and as you know, back in the 70s, uh, diabetes was just becoming you know, 
more, you know, somewhat recognized. Yeah. So his interaction was he behaved to get approval from his physician. Mm. And I saw that two weeks before an appointment, he'd be quote unquote good. And so in the back of my mind, I knew I could do better or maybe make an impact. And, you know, that's hard work. You can't change somebody. You, you got to educate them in a different way. But that was that was my first direction of, oh, you should go into medicine. Oh, they may, they, they're a doctor. They make money, blah, 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 blah. But I think it was more that uh, compassion of wanting to change and thinking I could make a difference. Well, you know, fast forward, there's burnout when you want to help everybody and forget about yourself. Yeah. So, you know, I had no problem getting through college and medical school, getting the residency. You know, it, it it was kind of like scripted. This is what I want to do. Got accepted within, was rolling in mission, got accepted right away. Um, it, it was just scripted is all I can natural, say. Yeah. But you know, yeah. you, you, you hit on something so key that it's so amazing that this is really was the seed of your journey into this area of medicine, because, you know, you, 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 you talked about observing your father's behavior as a patient and what he was about to do when he knew he had to be accountable and go see a doctor. And and I think that's something that is really not paid attention to at all. And, you know, that's a, that's a human trait. And like you said, it's the compassion aspect that got you thinking. And, you know, I, to fast forward a little bit, behavior, compassion, that's all led by hormones. Yeah, well, diabetes is hormonal. Right, that's exactly. insulin. That's right. That's it's exactly. insulin signaling. And today, we see 50% of people who are insulin resistant. They're not even diabetic. They're yeah. on a spectrum. Yeah. They are on a spectrum, and at can some you, point in can time, you, they'll reach it. Can you explain it. the difference for some of our viewers between diabetic and insulin resistant so, so, some, so people can understand better what those two factors are? Sure. Um, Insulin resistance, and again, when I use the word spectrum, insulin resistance takes sleuth work and um, suspicion to diagnose. So it's when someone has a diet or genetics that allows the cell not to uh, get sugar into it and requires the pancreas to make a higher amount of insulin to achieve that same load of sugar. Um, I like to say it's like 10 doors are on the cell, five of them are shut down for a variety of reasons. If it's genetics, too much sugar, um, again, uh, cortisol, various factors. So at some point in time, they become diabetic and that's where they require support of that sugar with a medication, not just lifestyle. And, and insulin resistance is reversed with lifestyle, as is diabetes. But it's, it's a slow, insidious um, process that has a major impact on uh, other processes in the body. So the passion that I had at the age of 14, thinking, oh, it's diabetes, well, I almost say that's too late. It's kind of once that happens, the reversal is still dietary, but for some people it's a point of no return because the the insulin made in the pancreas, well, it gets used up. And there are tests we can do to find out at what level people are. But again, if you imagine a timeline or a spectrum, every 
point on that spectrum is reversible at some point until you get to the point of no return. And then jokingly in medicine, I'd always say, oh, sure. Oh, your sugar's high. Well, what are we going to do about it? Rather than slap them on the wrist, go, oh, it's okay. I look at them and I say, what are we waiting for to be officially diabetic so I can legally give you a prescription? No, right. we got to treat it 10 years before it happens. Right. So that's good. That, that, that's preventative medicine, kind of what we do here at its core, you know, and I love that. And that I think brings in that functional medicine mindset to the average practitioner who just looks to treat the symptoms once it's already too late. Yeah, I get really hot on people because, again, from functional, I like to say, how are they presenting to me? They're usually coming in with symptoms of fatigue, weight gain, insomnia, anxiety. You know, my role is to pull it back. Most of my practice or what I started interest in was hormone replacement thinking ah bada bing bada boom you know oh this is low replace it well not that easy Hmm. why what influenced the change of hormone and again i'll go back to genetics um are they a setup um how's that insulin signaling pushing other things what's the gut so i kind of came up with a, a systematic way to approach those individuals. And I look at them, I go, do you have any gut issues? Absorption. You think about nutrients. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, uh, then the adrenals, what's your stress? Uh, Stress impacts everybody. Cortisol, you know, does things to different people in four different ways. Um, Either immune system, sugar dysregulation, mood dysregulation, um, or the anxiety, insomnia. So everybody reacts differently, but we all have stress. Good stress is good. Yeah. To a point. To, to a point, point of no right. return. Exactly. So again, it's all spectrum related. And I'll just hear a history and then go, okay, where do we start? And a lot of times it's overwhelming. But in comparison to traditional conventional medicine, it's like I hear a symptom. Oh, I got a med for that. I got a med for that. I got a mm. med for that. I'm seeing people who don't get better with medications. Well, sure. What's the relative nutritional deficiency? We completely missed that. Right. And we got to start somewhere. So systematically, what's your gut doing? <laughs> what's your stress level? Is your thyroid off? Are your hormones off? And kind of get, uh, I like to say, a constellation in the sky and start to figure out what influences what and where's the priority. And almost always, I think you spoke about this with Lori, um, it starts in the gut. Not, it does, yeah. Hey, I got to lose weight. I got to do this. Well, how did you gain the weight? How did you do this? And I wish it was low hanging fruit and could say, oh, your thyroid's wrong. Here's this medicine. Oh, thank God. I'm done with them. Yeah. Usually that's not how it ends up being. We start teasing things away and then starting to rebalance based on highest priority. So, Quick question. So someone walks into your office, right? And you know, we, you and I spoken a little bit about this and this is really, really interesting. And I love your approach about this. So someone walks into your office and you know, they're, I'd say 35 to 40 year old female. She's not feeling so well. She's tired. She's got a little weight gain. And this isn't somebody who is, you know, 
diabetes or, you know, who has any of these issues. But, you know, just high anxiety, not feeling good, you know, doesn't really know how to handle life at the age of like 40, kids, you know, pressures of life. And you could see a downturn in this person from every sense of the word whatsoever, right? So, and and, and she's probably been to doctors and says, oh, you know, you're, this is normal. You're, you know, you're just aging. You have kids. It's okay to feel this way. How do you take an approach to someone like that? And what kind of a protocol do you have to test and see what is really going on in this person? Because I hate that acceptance feeling of, oh, well, you know, now you're 40. This is how it should be. Now you're 50. This is how it should be. How do you take that approach? I think that's why I absolutely love what I do now. And, and again, like I said, I was a family, I still am a family practitioner, great medical background, backbone. Yeah, exactly. You're not some hocus pocus doctor. You've actually have lived through the entire family practice and aspect of this. So, you know, this is also what I love about what you do. Because that was me. Right. That was me. I was, I was, you know, I, I didn't know any better. I could, I did. And I just kept pushing through. So, you know, at the age of 38, fourth kid, fifth move, um, I think it, I, I might have shared with you, I even stopped practicing medicine for 10 years, uh, four yeah. kids under the age of 10. Um, I took a sabbatical. So, you know, it's, I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. That was exactly who I was. So when you say, what do you do with the typical 35 to 40 year old where the doctor says your blood tests are fine, nothing's wrong with you. Right. And they're over there consistently complaining and their partner, their family, they know something's not right. But right. how do you support it? I don't say fix it. How do you support it? How mm. do, and I'm data driven. Well, okay, CBC. What do I tell my patients? Let's rule in and rule out. And again, I use a questionnaire. Um, most of the stuff I do is through um, Dr. Hyman's 17-page questionnaire uh, because it is very thorough and it allows me to take that individual you just said and really dig deep. And then in my brain, it starts clicking. All right, where do I start? And, I, and it might be ad nauseum for the patient, but I talk with them for a good half hour, 45 minutes with this questionnaire, and we call it a multi-symptom um, um, index. So I'm looking for specifically what's, what are bigger pieces of the puzzle. A lot of times I'll see gut brain, and, and I'll point it out. I'll say, look, it, you scored really high on your responses to gut brain or if it's chronic sinus. So when you say, how do I approach these people in a functional approach, but it's not replicated because everybody's different. So with what you're saying, the 35 to 40 year old, and it's interesting, you, you even threw in there some kids, because my first question after being medical director in the Amish community for the past five years. Which I want to get into in a little while. (laughs) With the women coming in, I learned very quickly to ask, how many kids do you have? (sighs) Because by the age of 25, some of them have had three or four. Wow. Uh, One at the age of 38 had 12. So So it does let me see, is it nutrition? Is it overwhelm? But in our society, usually we're looking at less than, 
you know, four or five kids, you know, the norm is going to be one or two. But going back to your presentation, so that woman with anxiety, I start the timeline. When did it start? What was it like when you got married? Mm. And you were looking for changes. What did your environment? Did you move? Did you have water? Could they be uh, toxic to something? Are they allergic to something? Um, is it hormones? So low-hanging fruit would be ideal, but the primary care would have picked that up right. with tests. So why insanity is doing the same thing? I start looking, a lot of times I'll say, let's get an organic acid test. Why? You just mentioned anxiety. Was it stress-induced? Is this cortisol causing it? Is it a digestive issue? So an organic acid lets me look, is there yeast overgrowth? Is there bacterial overgrowth? Is there some clostridia species? What's the neurotransmitters? You know, if they're low energy, is it truly mitochondrial? And so I start to tease out uh, just a general path. And a lot of times if they have bloat or any kind of digestive change, what's your food allergen? And it goes back to diet. We all know what we're supposed to do, but under stress, what do we do? I'm a stress eater. Right. So just what we talked about insulin resistance. Oh my gosh, these people are hugging the couch no. two hours after they eat because they're stressed. And what are they doing? Fast energy, sugar. Don't do sugar. Well, when their brain's saying, I got to have it, it's just like a smoker or an addict. I mean, so what, where do we start? I start in the gut and I start to find out where patterns emerge and then go from there. I'm not a believer of, okay, we're going to do these 400 tests. Um, again, if we start in the gut, rule in, rule out. Yeah, yeah. What's the cortisol level? Sure. Because anxiety in women can even be, and we'll, the hormonal, are they low progesterone? But a good history. What's your menstrual history? Did it change? When was your last child? Do you, and I trained with uh, Bill Walsh. Is this pyrroles? Is this undermethylation? So it becomes really complicated. But in my brain, I'm kind of talking out loud, click, 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 click. And at the end of the, you know, when they're with me, it's like, okay, here's what we're going to start with. And I got my plan in place. So rule in, rule out. We're going to get this taken care of. And how are we going to get you to manage? If it's traditional medicine, while we're finding out what the under support is, we'll do that. But data collection is so critical and it goes beyond a CBC metabolic panel and just a TSH. It so, is so much deeper. So, so you, you hit on a good point that I kind of want to get into a little bit. You know, you, you talked about the gut and can we, can you just elaborate a little bit on, you know, how the effects of the gut affect specific hormones like maybe testosterone or the estrogen or where a lot of these issues can come from that can cause the anxiety. A lot of people think, oh, anxiety is just pressures of life, but you hit it on the head. It could be something going on physically that's affecting your hormones physically. And then, you know, it's going on to the brain and sending out signals where it's affecting you mentally. It's not always in this case, you know, they say, oh, clear mind, clear body. Sometimes a clear body provides a, a, a dirty mind. So, uh, a, a dirty oh, body provides a dirty mind, I mean. So like, it, it's a little bit, you know, out of the norm of the traditional way of thinking. So can you just talk a little bit about how, you know, the gut health and, you know, how it, how it reacts to testosterone, estrogen, um, and, and how that can be utilized in order to see those things and treat those things? Sure, sure. Um, and again, it goes back to individual uh, 
uh, people. And I don't demand a genetic test on everybody, but I will tell you, usually in the course, if we're not getting anywhere, genetics have a huge role. Oh, we demanded here at our center. Influence on testosterone, estrogen, uh, progesterone levels when it comes to the gut, because we are talking about anxiety. Well, gut, I, I, when I'm listening to a story and again, I wish they were low hanging fruit and I'll get to how they go, how they influence hormones. But if you're not absorbing because you have inflammation, because it's, um, gluten intolerance, celiac, I've diagnosed a type one diabetic with celiac at the age of 48. And he's been type one diabetic since the age of six. The comment is you had bigger issues going on. And so the point in going back to the gut, what are you absorbing? What are you not absorbing? How is that impacting gut, brain, and hormone? So outside of genetics, it's a nice viewpoint of rule in, rule out. Um, But number two, if you're not getting the right nutrients and you're set up to be estrogen dominant, and this is men and women, but let's go back to the women. An estrogen dominant woman will have gallbladder issues. So they don't digest fat. They don't get the right energy. They tend to have very heavy periods. They're low in progesterone if they're stressed. Stress, I call it the progesterone steel. They become lower if they're insulin resistant in a female. These are the women that lose hair, grow a beard, have the hump on their back. Stress influences insulin levels even higher. Well, insulin on the ovary makes them somewhat estrogen dominant, progesterone deficient. And guess what? It stimulates testosterone, but in a bad way. They get all the negative effects. And these are the women coming in going, I have no libido. So again, it's so interconnected. Like, where do you start? So the easiest thing I can say is you start in the gut because one thing does influence the other. And interestingly, when sugar is high in certain individuals, it it dampens dopamine. Dopamine is your motivation and your energy. So again, where do we start? But going back to anxiety, progesterone can calm women in nine out of 10 women. I put some people on progesterone, it's been the exact opposite. So again, it goes back to teasing. For the most part, you can't make a script for every individual or every woman that comes in with anxiety. You have to be flexible, but know what you look for in the gut, not from a hormone perspective, but for the gut. If there is a clostridia species, you will see some anxiety symptoms associated with it. Because I say gut bugs in the gut are hijackers. They're looking for nutrients for themselves. And so you're not getting where it should be. And yet they go, I take all these vitamins and I feel I'm not getting anything out of it. And I go, "Uh, I think there's something going on. And that's unrelated to hormones. So it really is complicated when you say, how does the gut impact testosterone, estrogen, progesterone? And I'm going to say thyroid. Thyroid's yeah. a hormone. That's right. Hashimoto's, yeah. Graves' disease. Yeah. I, I believe it's gut-driven. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but the influence on the hormones, I see more from inability to process sugars. That's the women who come in with the weight, abnormal weight gain, 20, 25 pounds in six months or less. How hmm. to get on there. 
Um, that's a and, yeah, that's a big one. That, that I mean, and especially post pregnancy. I mean, that's oh. something that you know is very you know a lot of women after having kids, their hormones go haywire, and I think that's where a lot of that libido you were talking about drops. And I think one of the things that you know you and I spoke about you know off the air a little bit, and I think it's so not looked at is the proper role of you know testosterone in women, especially women post pregnancy. Can you just talk a little bit about how important that is both from a functional standpoint from a disease preventative standpoint as well as a lifestyle standpoint you know there's sure. you know when 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 couples get a little bit older and and you know they kind of like eh, they get comfortable with each other they don't really want to be around each other and this this and that a lot of that has to do with the role of testosterone both in men and women and I want to get into that but first oh, in, first yeah. in women can you just talk a little bit about the importance of that and and and, and all the things that you know we just talked about Sure, sure. It's a hot topic for me. And in my practice, I look at these women, I'm like, if they come in and they're already complaining of low libido, or you know it's serious when the husband comes with them. And I appreciate the husband's support because that illustrates to me it's impacting their marriage. And so how I approach that is number one, what are the levels? So as I mentioned with insulin resistance, these women come in with high testosterone. Well, if their libido's low, giving them more testosterone is not fixing the problem. It's why is it that way? So I'd like to say... Um, why is it that way? Because naturally, that's, that would be the original thought, right? Like if testosterone's exactly. high, libido should be high. But that's not how it works, especially in women. By the way, in men, it doesn't work the same way either. Correct. Correct. Um, and again, I, I'm so fascinated with this insulin and, and you know, uh, the nuances uh, that it creates. And you have to be aware of how it impacts each individual. So the best scenario is when a woman comes in, regardless of her age. So let's go back to hormones. Let's say age 25 to right. let's start 55. there. Okay. Right. Okay. Perfect. If there, first question, are you on birth control? Because what do we use birth control for? Okay. We modulate your hormones. Right. Well, believe it or not to control acne, it, it does lower testosterone. So there, I always laugh, I go, is that kind of cruel? <laughs> so you don't get pregnant, you just don't have sex? <laughs> because, right. you know, low libido. Oh, wow, I'm not going to get pregnant, but I don't have sex either. Because it does, it will be lower. So it's kind of counterintuitive to put somebody on testosterone replacement. if not, And you can do it while they're on the pill. It's just, you know, recognizing what external sources is either keeping um, – it from giving libido. So the testosterone level is critical to look at, but if it's low, what influences? If it's high, think insulin resistant, and then that's, again, a whole different process to, to get the libido back without making their hair loss worse by giving them testosterone. I've done it on women. Um, I'll get into the replacements here in, in, a, in a few minutes, but... Yeah. With regards to the testosterone levels, the low ones and appropriateness, I replace. And the best way to replace it, in my opinion, is a testosterone pellet. Hmm. I've, I've been with the BioT company now five years. And the only reason I 
went to. It was the only tool in my toolbox I didn't have. And prior to that, it was topical testosterone. Put it on the clitoris. It gives you an increased sensitivity. And for some women, it's just enough. And like I said, take it for a test drive. You can take it off. Or as my friend in New Jersey says, uh, a little dab will do you. So, but the, the first clue is, what do I need to do about the complaint of libido? Where's it coming from? It's not as simple as, oh, it's low, replace. Because when it's high and they have low libido, why would you replace a high number? You're going to make side effects worse. So that's the comment. The best scenario is when you're able to identify low, you boost it. And I will tell you, it is phenomenal. The men come in and go, thank you. The women who are dating or divorced go, oh, my boyfriend thanks you. Because they now have that intimacy that uh, for the most part, we didn't know why. But that's the simple part. When you say, what about low libido and, okay, we're already replaced and they're still kind of, I don't know, think about the age group. Again, I went through this. I was overwhelmed, a lot of kids and, you know, always go, 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 anxiety, this, that. It's hard to sit back and appreciate when you're busy. Yeah. So that's the component of mindfulness and real true connection. You know, it's different. You know, sex is sex. That's that's a that's an act. Right. But when you start to get intimate, well, how do you get intimate when you have kids that are coming in and out of the bedroom or the you know, the husband comes home, they've been working all day, the wife's been home all day. It's a different stress. Usually men are like and again, they're different. Men and women are different. Sex to men is gratification. Sex to women, that that's they got to receive. They're usually not in the frame of receiving because of they've been in the home all day. So you got to tease out what's really occurring. And is it as simple as the level is low? It's the diet. It's there's, there's so many external factors. And then, you know, after childbirth, a lot of times, and you mentioned it, waking. They're not happy with their bodies. There's just so many changes. So how do you feel sexy to somebody that, you know, produce these kids? It's a different scenario. It's like women go into the mama bear mode and all of a sudden the men are like, what happened to the woman I married? Uh, they're they're right. different. It must be their hormones. And <laughs> check their hormones and you look at them, you go, okay, we'll see what we can do. But it's just one avenue. I believe there are other factors that need to be addressed simultaneously for the best outcome. And then two, knowing it's a phase, it's a process. You know, it's hard to, for women to receive. And um, I, I'll share, I'll share a comment because uh, a nurse I drive with um, every Monday when I do go out to Charm, uh, her, her husband left her a note on her car and he said, uh, filled your tank of gas, air conditioning fixed. And there, there was letters. And I go, what does that mean? She goes, you can thank me later. And <laughs> I looked at her, I go, ah, <laughs> oh, I know him. And she goes, yeah, that's that's his way. I go, and it got me thinking. Do you ever hear a woman after taking care of the kids, making you dinner, you know, you come home and, hey, I washed your clothes. I washed the floors. I took care of your kids. Can you thank me now? <laughs> think about it. Have you ever heard a woman say that? No. <laughs> uh, but right. if they did, I'm sure their husbands would be like, really? Really? Now? Okay. Okay. I, I can do that. <laughs> so, right. That's right. Yeah. 
So there's mismatched libidos, but I think part of it is environmental and how do you get to that? You identify it and say, could that be something that needs to be explored and then find somebody who's, you know, just able to touch upon it and make it aware. Yeah. No, so that's, that's a that that, that that's a great point about, you know, being able to understand the environment and then, you know, figuring it all out at once, you know, okay, let how do we change the environment and the ch- change in environment obviously has an internal effect on the hormones and, you know, and then your nutrition and 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 proper questionnaires by somebody like you can put them in at least the mind frame to be able to think about oh wait you know this this is just a face this is something that can be worked through and I think that's something that you know couples you know especially like I know I'm in that age range you know 39 40 years old and you know it, it's um a, a lot of couples they don't know what to do they fall into this world of you know the the husbands are out there building and working and the women are home and they're watching the kids and they're doing all this stuff and all of a sudden it's like you know eight o'clock comes nine thirty. the kids are in bed and you're both exhausted from the day and you're like exhausted right is, is and, classic and, yeah yes. and 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 you're just like you know you're looking at each other you love each other but all you can think about is doing something mindless and passing out so I think a lot of that occurs and people just don't know why I think understanding what you just said you know the behavior aspect that that's just a phase it's not a big deal a B, I think just that mental release on its own allows for a connection and then seeing okay how are these things affecting us what can we do you know from a standpoint of you know looking internally and seeing you know if 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 the nutrition is correct if the psychology is correct if all of these things are right then you can you know better work through those moments i think and i think that's something that nobody looks at yeah yeah true and and when you're saying that and you you hit it on the nail you're, you're at the pinnacle. You know, if you think about a lifespan, let's say from zero to 80, where's 40? Smack dab in the middle. Right. should be at the top of the bell curve. That's exactly yet, right. When's the most shit happening? <laughs> you know, you got the mortgage, you got the kids, you got That's the right. job, you got this, you got that. You have so many quote unquote stressors. What happens to most individuals with persistent stress? They break down at some pillar and Everybody's different based on their genetics. But like you're saying, as a spouse, in recognition of, hey, we're both exhausted in our own ways, but how are you communicating that? My role is from a medical standpoint, first and foremost, is there something medically that will support improvement of it? Right. And and, and that's what most people come in for. Hey, I went to the primary care. And they said, nothing's wrong, but these are my symptoms. Well, hello, they're valid. I'm not going to sit there and go, you're fine. No, let's address it because they're, let's look further and rule out, rule in. How does the anxious brain work? It wants data to say, I'm okay, because anxiety is fear. And how do you, how do you resolve fear? You get an answer. Right. That's right. And, and so, you know, it's pretty simple. <laughs> you know, we can medicated away it's just putting it off to another day you know it's kind of like cleaning day you know your house gets messy you got to clean it but you're not going to clean it most people should clean it every day but you know you let piles until it's that day somebody's coming 
All right, putting well, it's like room. the difference between messy and clean, right? Like your house can be messy, you know, and, and you can put things away, but like you, you need that once a week deep scrub cleaning, you know, where you get in between the cracks and, you know, clear everything out and make sure that there's nothing left over, you know, and, and if you don't do that over a 10 year period, that dirt piles up in the corners and, you know, sure. you get all kinds of issues. You get allergies, you get, you know, you, you can't breathe right in the house and all that stuffiness it's the same thing with 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 two people together in a marriage you know like you have to be able to do those things and you know it's important to 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 handle those things uh, so just you know while we're on the subject and we're talking about the men and the women I, I really wanted to get into a a subject with you that you know is is very hot right now and that's you know that is hormone replacement therapy in men and you know how it's used currently and how do you see the future of that you know um, going forward and and you know also just the effects of you know the negative effects of what you know low testosterone in men that's been accepted for so long especially after the age of 35 can do to their health and the benefits of what it can do to them internally if it's treated correctly okay sure sure it's a good uh that's a little more straightforward with men yeah because you know with women you've got estrogen progesterone no <laughs> men are men are estrogen and with, at yeah. least with men yeah it's simple uh, it's testosterone simple. Yep. and as you say uh i've seen test low testosterone in 19 year olds so, um, but you're correct. Most of the um, testosterone uh, is about that crisis 35, 40, uh, due to a variety of causes. Right. So, you know, the, the, the causes being what they are, where do, like, how, how do, because, you know, look, I understand you have to look into the root cause of things, right? But before you look into the root cause, you have to treat the symptom as is. And right. if you don't treat the symptom, the downturn of that is, is, is detrimental. I mean, this is, a, this is a subject, you know, being a former competitive bodybuilder myself and, you know, being inside that industry and seeing men and women abuse, abuse their body with hormones. I mean, I'm talking yeah. to an extent where most people have no idea idea how badly it's abused and and you know that that's a conversation we can get into about the detrimental effects of that as well but but we're talking about the general population yeah we're talking about uh, the you know, proper usage right hey doc and this is a man well but, you know what but nancy that, but nancy that's what i want to talk about a lot of people look at it and they think you know what i just said and 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 there's a difference between understanding how to properly you know utilize a science that's out there for you and and abuse of something because of a narcissistic mentality right well first and foremost i'm biased because um i am a believer in bioidentical hormone when i hear a history I'm always looking, listening for and testing hormone levels, whether or not they choose to accept my proposal of this may help you. It's my duty to rule it in or out. And just as you said, how would I suspect it? These are the, and we're talking men. They're coming in with symptoms of either low mood, depression, lack of endurance. If they're regular exercisers, um, no gain at the gym. Usually those are ages 45 and above, but I like to sh tell people in a generality, um, if you think of a balance beam or teeter totter, one side stress, cortisol, 
The other side is anabolic. And when I say anabolic buildup, that's testosterone, DHEA. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to have it balanced. Well, one of the things that causes the symptoms I just mentioned, and and I I think about that way in women too, but we're talking about men, Mm. is if their stress levels are high and that, that balance is off, we can test a testosterone level and, you know, optimal is about 900 to 1100 per se. Let's say they come in at uh, 400. Well, that's not abnormal. But I look at it and I go, it's not optimal. You got a D in school and you passed. Right. When you passed with an A plus. <laughs> that's a great analogy. You know, it's like. Uh, <laughs> and then the next question becomes. Are you a candidate for replacement and is it safe? So then you go through the checklist. What's the family history of heart disease? You know, what's your cholesterol levels? You know, what's your diet? What's influencing? Because the first goal is to get that balance. Bring down the cortisol, rhodiola, ashwagandha, you know, whatever it takes. Maybe sometimes they do need SSRIs. I'm not saying yay or nay. It's but I'm not treating their low mood, quote unquote, depression, insomnia with Zoloft as a first line, I'm going, what's the hormone picture? What's your thyroid? Love that. And if it's not optimal, why is it not optimal? What's your diet? What's your job? And so bring down the cortisol, raise the anabolic so that we're rebalancing. Let's reassess in six to 12 weeks what you're experiencing with our choice of intervention. A lot of times it is an injectable testosterone or uh, some men really do go straight to uh, a testosterone pellet, which will last five months. But again, it's really determining what's their best need and is that theory correct? And you only know when you follow up and go, what'd you notice? I would say a majority of men notice the difference they're able, they're not going to home and sitting on the couch and I got no energy left. I can't even play with the kids. And then they have guilt. And so it's really trying to figure out what's the best intervention. So for men, I look at the cardiac health because unlike JAMA and all that, that says testosterone actually gives them a heart attack. No, 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 I don't believe that. I've seen no, it. No, I agree with you. It, it, it reversed. Uh, it does. With it's, the proper diet and that's energy exactly improvement, right. these men reverse their insulin resistance, early diabetic paths. I, I, I've seen I, it over and over. I, so. I, I, so have I. And I'm not even, I'm, I'm in, I see it in a different way and, and, and I'm not even in your field. So I, I'm, we're totally on board on this one together. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm in favor, but again, I'm biased because that's kind of where my niche became, you know, through uh, various processes. Well, I wouldn't yeah, call you biased. I, I would do it the same way. I'd go, uh, right. you got to the level. But, but there's a difference between bias because you're educated and you've seen experience and you have data and being biased because it's just a fact. It's a matter of opinion. You see, you're, you're biased because you've seen the data. You've collected it. You've experienced it. You understand it. And, you know, and I think, you know, more and more of that is starting to come out out now and more and more doctors like yourself are starting to say hey like I can tell you right now based on what I've learned about you know 
the proper usage of testosterone as a hormone is most men, you know, if you, so your body doesn't know the difference between a synthetic testosterone or a normal testosterone. It'll break it down essentially. I mean, your natural testosterone, it'll break it down pr pretty much the same way. You just have Correct. to understand where your body levels out at that number that you're talking about, which by the way, is an absurd number. Men from 18 to 60 have the same range of 200 yeah. being low and 1200 <laughs> being high. I mean, that is... If, if that isn't the most backwards thing I've ever seen, I don't know what is. Like, how do you compare a 19-year-old with a 64-year-old and put them in the same age range that has the low end of, a, of a, the most key component hormone in your body that regulates everything being at 200 and the high being at 1,200, which is six times the amount? I, 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 how does this go on? I don't understand. I know. It's like having a D in school. You passed. You want to go through life just being kind of like, oh, my doc says it's not low. Well, what's your number? Oh, 300. Oh, okay. And you're okay with that? I'm not. Right. I, I, I'm just not built that way. That's not acceptable. But some people assume that's gospel. And so maybe educated is true. My role as the doctor is to offer intervention. My role as a doctor is to make sure there are no complications. You know, when you talk about testosterone and levels, you got to know where it's going. Right. And is it doing the right thing or is it doing harm? Because there are men who do inject a heck of a lot more and they shut down their LH. They have no sperm. Yeah. Probably the best form of birth control for these young 20-somethings. But I look at them, I go, you get married, you better let that lady know. You know, <laughs> you might go through a reversal period. And there's ways to get around it. But, you know, that's utilizing medication. But that's somebody who knows how to appropriately use if it's necessary. The one gentleman I said who's 19, um, I'm like, this, I know it runs in your family, but 19, is this low? Well, I'll tell you, when we replaced him, it made a difference. But I also tested, he was celiac. So um, it made sense as to why his levels were low, but I went looking. So there, there's just definitive things you look for before you just go, Oh yeah, I'll just make you feel better. Here you go. Right. Um, not true. It, it's truly a um, guided process with did it make you better? And the best I can say is, do you want a D in school or you want an A plus? Well, I want them to have an A plus. You know, it's 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 you know, it, one of the things that we try to do with our company at Helix and Gene is try to get every aspect of the medical field. You know, when I say medical field, I mean the things that go on internally within your body. Look at every component from a preventative standpoint. What is out there that you can actually utilize based on data that's been collected over the years that has not worked? And what can you do that can put you in a position where you're more in a preventative aspect than you are? Like, you know, for, for instance, you know, you talked about most of these issues happen in men when they're 45 years old. Well, what if you treated at 35 instead of 45 and you look for these symptoms ahead of time and you look at this approach from a preventative standpoint instead of, you know, well, now at 45, you know, all of these issues are happening. Well, you know, I mean, what if you 
could understand these things at 30 or 35 and you can stay ahead of these things and you can avoid a ton of disease. You can avoid a ton of chronic pain and you can avoid a ton of, you know, uh, lack of recovery, bad cortisol levels because, you know, your, your, your stress levels are high. You know, if I, I think there isn't enough approach from a preventative standpoint in this field. And that's why, you know, when you and I spoke, you really got my attention because, you know, you ask people these questions and they will show up on your functional medicine survey. You know, I've seen your protocol. It's very extensive and it's fantastic because, you know, it, it, it does get to the nitty gritty. Now, whether you're 25 or 35 within a couple of months, you'll be able to catch what's what and what's not and what you may need to do from a preventative standpoint for the next 10 years. And I like, it's mind boggling how more and more doctors are not paying attention to these things. Yeah. I, I, I think when you, when you touched upon what you're like, when you say research oriented, what if we started this earlier, what outcomes would we be looking for? First and foremost, one of the reasons I stepped out of, um, conventional medicine, because nowadays everybody's gone, uh, employee based, you know, physicians now an employee, not their own self thinking. It's the belief system. And I can't work in a system where everybody thinks that paying it into insurance allows them access to a physician with, you don't know what their background is. So I purposely stepped out and said, I only want to attract people with the belief system of prevention. And I know this gal has put the effort into it rather than what's the, what's the payoff and motivation in a conventional based system where you're getting a, a salary. There's, right. There is none. There isn't any. That's right. And so for your uh, company and your uh, preventative based and, and your ideals, it's your, you want to attract those with the same belief system. We can't implement this across the country because some people are set in their ways. I can't change someone's belief system. I can be who I am and let them see other people affected by that course of action and the biggest compliment is I want what they have. How did you get that? Oh, I was over there seeing Dr. Nancy. Oh, well, can I have her name? And, and you know, usually most of my new patients are family members and referrals. Great. That means something's working. Yeah. The second yeah. thing you touched upon from the prevention standpoint with what you're trying to do, education. We got to yeah. educate the people. But, you know, in all honesty, it is out there. The student or the teacher will arrive when the student's ready. So the goal is to have it as accessible as possible in the uh, avenue stream you feel most appropriate. Maybe it speaks to somebody at a, at a different way that maybe the first nine people, it didn't. I mean, it, it's kind of like rinse, lather, repeat. It's the same process. It's packaged differently. Right. So, and I think your question is, hey, now that we have genetic research and we have these functional tests and maybe a different way to approach it, how do we get people to understand that this preventative way, testosterone in men, uh, hormone balancing, and I'm going to say the, I, I think stress kills is the domino. You, you start with a simple initial domino and boy, by the time that that one first one gets pushed by the age of 40, you're almost ready to fall off the side of the deck. Yeah. Uh, 
but but again like so what's the best approach it's individual it's personalized but these people have to be willing to understand the process because it is a little different for everybody if it was that simplistic we wouldn't have the issues we have today well, that's, you know, and, and I think a lot of that is changing. And I think a lot of that is changing because of the, you know, internet and social media. And these are a couple, oh, of, the, and these are yeah. a couple of the good things that I think social media and the internet offer, you know, is, is this type of shared information on the super highway? Because look, in my parents age group, you know, um, you know, uh, and they're in their sixties and it's like, oh, uh, I don't feel good. Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Right. Symptom, symptom, treatment, treatment. Pill, 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 pill. I, 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 you know. Oh, you have a cold. You should take Tylenol. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like in our, like myself and my wife, like you know, we have a completely opposite approach. You know, and it's like, um, you know, we're all about okay. What can we do from a pre- preventative standpoint? From our age group now leading into our 60s and how can we set up an education system and an example for my seven and four year old based on starting with nutrition and you know specific type of behaviors that will allow them a much greater success moving forward not to have issues that my parents now have in their 60s because there was no information there was nothing said for the past 40 years about any of these things really that wasn't really you know they, they weren't educated i don't blame them you know to them the way they grew up was oh you 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 don't feel good go to the doctor you don't feel good go to sure. the doctor and it's like goes back to my dad with the diabetes you right. know this is that was just expected right uh, yeah uh, and so you're right you were in a a different um generation yes where the 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 more there is and you know thank goodness uh functional medicine has had the inroads it did and you know when i got on board in uh 2011 and started you know doing my modules on other things you know honestly it was in effect in the early 90s um it's just that's how long it took them to organize it and popularize it. And again, I'll go back to, as you're saying, with what you want for your children and what you and your wife do, this is your belief system. You want them to be exposed to what you feel is better preventative medicine, not what you grew up seeing. Oh, preventative medicine is Advil and Tylenol when I ache. Not like, well, why is the inflammation there? Could it be uh, <laughs> stress or crappy diet or, you know, whatever? Um, so it, it's exciting that there's um, – it's not as challenging. You find health stores and availability of foods more widestream. I, I mean, I live in an area that just got an organic store more convenient and, and um, brand name. Otherwise, I was driving an hour. Yeah. You know, well, so that, accessibility so helps too. With, accessibility uh, does, but, yeah. but, it, but it all goes back to what you said, you know, the mindset and, you know, even, even today though, I still have a ton of my peers, you know, and, and, and when I say that my wife and I are, are, are on the minority side still in our age group that think this way, because, you know, and, and hopefully the generation of people 10 years and 15 years, you know, after us are starting to get a little bit better with this. And I think it's what's exciting with what 
what you do and what we do here at Helix and Gene is we are the forefront that hasn't existed that's shifting this as we speak. So I think in the next 10 to 15 years is where you're going to see the majority of these type of changes from a perspective standpoint. I see my friend's kids and my cousin's kids and they're in the doctor every other week. Oh, my kid has this. My kid has that. My kid is sick. My kid is that. I'm like, so this endless cycle of your kid being sick and you feeding them all of these drugs at a young age, repetitively back and forth on a weekly basis, hasn't alarmed you one bit that you may be just walking in this revolving door? Shouldn't you just stop? Maybe like think a little bit and take a different approach and go, you know, maybe my kid's body naturally needs to learn how to fight this fever, you know? Maybe like, you know, and, and, and they won't get it again, you know? One of the things that I was speaking to a physician yesterday, um, and he's an orthopedic surgeon at a very prominent hospital here, and we were ta- talking and he was telling me, he's like, you know, they're starting to remove all the Purell's from school because they're realizing that the overuse of Purell in the kids' hands is actually killing all the natural bacteria that the kids need. I mean, yeah. you know, my wife and I have been preaching about this for years. I was like, you know, you don't need to wash your hands 50 times a day. You don't need to put Purell on. Your kids need to go out, roll around in the dirt and understand what it's like to get yeah. sick, you know, and, and, and teach and let their bodies naturally be able to fight these by, you know, continuing to have those, you know, uh, uh, those microbes inside them to be able to fight these things. Naturally, none of these kids have them anymore. And I think that is, that's what's creating a ton of new formed diseases and allergies and all kinds of stuff that we never had 15 years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. It's like, and again, you go to the timeline, why are we seeing all this? Boy, the more the more medicine they're taking and, and receiving, and are they better? Are they better? No. They acutely fixed. And what you're saying with natural relief of fever, I mean, I saw that firsthand when I, five years ago, started down in uh, the Amish country. You know, here, here's me. They come in with a cut finger and... I'm like, okay, they better go home with some Percocet. Oh my gosh, it's got to hurt. My goodness, they're giving them a shot of cayenne pepper and bandaging it up with burdock leaf. I'm like, what the hell's burdock leaf? Here, let's go off there and I'm going to show you what it is. <laughs> so it was a real introduction, uh-huh. even though I had a certification in integrative medicine. I didn't know what burdock leaf did or what. And same thing with fevers. Oh, you put them in a tub of hydrogen peroxide and you naturally bring it down. They treat cancer with immunotherapy, um, and that's they bring the body temperature up, you know, so with hot baths and stuff. So what you're saying is absolutely true, but it goes back to the belief system. And, 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 and even with children, you know, off topic from the hormones, but what happens when you, one of your children from poor diet can't sleep? Or is ADD? So okay, you know, so you hit it on the head, right? Nobody looks at that. Thing. That's why nobody says, it, "Oh, so my kid I, might have ADD or can't sleep at night because of all the crap that I'm feeding him during the day." Exactly. Ninety-nine um, percent of the chance of the probability of your kid having ADD and not being able to sleep at night is due to their nutrition or lack thereof. Nothing else. <laughs> And very, very true, because you mentioned earlier about anxiety and what does diet play? Think about the glutamate, the glutamates in food. And, you know, with genetics, if they can't convert into GABA, GABA's calming. How does diet impact? But what are we doing with your friends? Bringing them to the doctor. Hey, they look at their symptoms. Okay, here's your med. Right. And 
And I lived it. That was my son. I poisoned him. Oh my gosh, mom, uh, stay-at-home mom of four kids that you know running them everywhere. Guess what? I thought I was treating them with a McDonald's meal. I kill. I was killing my kid and therefore making my life miserable. Right. I've learned firsthand. No, it is diet. It's slow down. You know, rest, recovery. Not busy, 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 busy. It impacts children. It impacts couples. It impacts health. It impacts sleep. Where do we start? Is it, I mean, kids, is it their hormones? Well, indirectly, it's their gut signaling. It's the leptin. It's the overweight. Kids are insulin resistant at the age of eight. You see young girls, you know, with that. So, you know, we can say hormones, but like, where does it start? So as simplistic as I can be, I say, you know what? Target the gut and think of a bullseye. It's gut, adrenal, thyroid, sex hormones, sex hormones by age. Sure. You know, if you're in your andropause, menopause years, I expect those to be lower associated symptoms. But when it's not age appropriate, the gut is the center of the universe and it throws off signals for neurotransmitters, hormone dysregulation, thyroid dysregulation. And, you know, is it that stress causes the gut to be off? Is it the gut that causes adrenal to be worse? Who knows? It, it, it can go, you know, either or. But that's how I had to think about everything because it impacts. And as when we started uh, in your, your question, what do you do with that 35 to 40-year-old woman who comes in with little weight gain kids and just blah, you know? Yeah. Primary care, you're depressed. Oh, hell yeah, right. I'm just stressed. Right. <laughs> stressed. Like, of and course I'm depressed. It <laughs> depletes serotonin. And then you go on Zoloft or whatever, and over time, SSRIs, over a period of time, deplete dopamine. What's dopamine? Motivation and energy. So what do you do? You eat sugar. That's your dope. <laughs> so, yeah. Or you cheat, or you're a sex addict, or you're a porn addict, or you get your dope somehow. Yeah. And, and so the partner who might not have the same response to stress looks at their other partner and goes, who the hell are you? Right. <laughs> hey, my kids are affected, and da-da-da-da-da. So, you know, resentment builds and appreciation fades. And, and yet, how did all this get started? <laughs> well, combination I say stress and diet so it it impacts everybody but if the mom is not healthy strong energetic from whatever cause they are the model as you said I go to work so if your wife's at home she's the one in command of the two children yeah if a mother cannot take the um additive stress pressures of just day-to-day childcare. Most of myself, I thought I was a bad mom. I didn't think, oh, I should hire a sitter two days a week so I can go have my day. I thought being a good mom was being there for them at the consequence of being exhausted and no good for myself or my husband. And that that is so important what you just said. This is a conversation I have with my wife and 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 women in this age group and every age group all the time. You know, and and being that loving, nurturing, you know, attitude that most moms and women have is let me sacrifice everything for my kid and then when the kid grows up and the kid's got all kinds of issues, what happened? I gave up my life for you. Well, you shouldn't have. 
What exactly. you should have done was set an example for your child by, you know, doing other things. I mean, that's something that, you know, that you don't need to be with them 24-7 in order for them to appreciate you, you know, and, and, and think that you're a good mother. You need to be in a great state of mind so when you are with them, they see this example of this, you know, mindful, strong-minded woman who controls whether it's the household or other things that they're involved in. And and I think that's a that that's something that is not really shared or taught to a lot of moms that choose to stay home. And you know, especially moms that used to like be involved in the work field and all of a sudden stay home, you know, and that's oh, a big shock. A year transition, you know, in the work in the work field, we're used to getting shit done. You yeah. come home, and all of a sudden it's like, come on, put your socks on. Put right, your socks on. that's right. We gotta be there. There's no compliance. <laughs> yeah, you're like going, uh, and again, for child ADD, it was like, come. What do you mean? You, you can't get your shoes on? You know, the kid. I think the kid was in Velcro till he was ten because it was right. like, I, I don't have patience to do this. And, and so, but going back to the 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 wife, the mother, and you hit upon it. I really do believe that, and I'm talking about myself historically, I had this image. I want, I mean, I love my children dearly. I always wanted them. I had, I wanted more. I didn't realize the the challenges that came with each one. Um, and I had one every time I moved <laughs> and I moved five times in 10 years. So Oh, wow. I stopped moving. New house, new baby. I'm like, I don't want any more babies. I cried. Uh, this is not what I want because of the weight gain, the stress, the um, and yet how do you get the energy to be the role model? What was I referring to? Well, what I saw growing up, this is what a good mom does. Right. No, 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 no. A good mom knows who she is and where she thrives best and get rid of the guilt of I should be home because I can, because my kids need me. I do believe children bond best with their moms, but yes. every single day they need whatever it is. And if it's a working mom who says, I thrive when I'm at work, I'll hire out the housekeeper. I'll hire out the nanny if they can afford it for those two days a week, because then she's healthy. Yeah. And able to do it, but it's getting over the mindset or the guilt. And you know what? How? Where's hormones in that? There isn't any. It, it's just that has a whole other dimension. But it needs to be recognized when, as you said at the very beginning, I have this person coming in. My role is to medically rule in, rule out. Well, what if things are kind of not really showing anything? By the second time, it's like, hey, did we think about this? Where are you at with that? Do you need counseling? Do you need someone to kind of sort stuff out? And believe it or not, the individuals I've treated in the past, about a year later, and one comes to mind, she said that she started working with a counselor and she realized that she was accepting behavior from her spouse and she needed better boundaries. And when she stepped up the boundaries, it created uh, relief for her and some conflict, but things were being addressed, not that it was unmanageable or whatever. She was seeing improvement because she was finally able to utilize her voice. And interestingly, I was treating her for thyroid and thyroid's your fifth chakra. That's right. your power. It's your communication. Right. So it was interesting that a year later, 
that I didn't specific. She did this on her own after we were, she wasn't getting completely better. She was some, but when she came in the last time, I go, wow, you look really great. You're really together, blah, blah, blah. She owns a business. Uh, and she shared with me that part. I go, aha, mm. that makes sense now. You've got that missing link. Yet medically, thyroid numbers were good. This was good. Right. But she wasn't overall better. So that link of uh, digging deeper, what's the triggers? Uh, ABC, antecedent behavior, consequence. What's the trigger? What's the behavior? What needs to change that? As you said, we come home, we get in a rut and, and rinse, lather, repeat. Well, that's not acceptable. Date night once a month for just reconnecting and until it's habit. We're all busy. You don't make the time now. Don't expect changes differently later because you're too ingrained in what you, what you find. Two people that just kind of exist, that should never, ever be. Hormones help spark that connection, but there's more work to it than just a number. In my female version, personal experience, medical background. And I love that. And, you know, Nancy, I, you know, obviously, you know, we get into a conversation and we can sit here and talk about this for hours on end. Um, but, you know, I definitely want to do a two point version, 2.0 version of this with you because there's still so many topics that I want to get into. Um, but, you know, just for our viewers today, you know, we obviously like to keep our podcast within a certain Absolutely. limited time. Otherwise, we can literally go on forever. Um, Oh, really good. So, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, my patients say, "Hey, maybe we should go have a drink or go out for dinner because we can continue our conversation. And I don't have to be charged." <laughs> no, it's true, and 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 and. But you know, but but even with that, there's a there's an aspect of connectivity that 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 you get that your 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 patients ask you that, and 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 there's something to be said about that that doesn't really exist that much in the medical field, unfortunately. Um. So in getting a great service and understanding, you know, what it is that you do, if someone you know in the area or outside the area wants to contact you how would they find you where would they go can you just give us a little bit about you know where somebody can find you and utilize your services sure sure i'm located in uh akron ohio but i have a website and it's uh because uh my office name is so the website would be www.optimalhealthinstituteohio.com uh, the phone number for reaching is three, three, zero, six, nine, nine, one, five, zero, zero. Now, if someone and, is outside of Akron or is not in Ohio, can, is there, you know, can they, is there a way they can reach you and, and possibly, you know, kind of get going from a, from, from a standpoint from there as well? Absolutely. Usually with uh, the out-of-towners, and mm -hmm. I have many, some that were existing patients and moved out of area, and others that are family members uh, as far as ways California, what same, same process as a brand new patient. Um, go to the website or call the number. Understood. Uh, we, we ask for a $75 deposit 
to uh, for the paperwork and stuff. And we send out that 17-page questionnaire, the multi-symptom questionnaire. I review it. I send out appropriate labs. We schedule a time. So if they're out of area, you know, I'll do a phone consult. Ideally, I like to see them because I'm visual. I'm right. looking at their tongue, their nails, da, da, da. However, to get started or just to, hey, how can you help me? Right. I start there because, you know, a lot of times I'll refer to people, somebody in Georgia. I know someone in Georgia. I know somebody in Naples. I know somebody in New Jersey. Right. The networking um, and if it's have, more appropriate, yeah. closer, I'll co-manage, but it at least gets that ball rolling so that we can get the needs and the plan in place. Fabulous, Nancy. And I really want to really, really thank you again for coming on this show. This was a great, great subject and a great conversation back and forth. And to our listeners, if you want to hear more, um, you can definitely go to our iPodcast at iTunes at Helix and Gene. Um, and, you know, be sure to listen and, and only if you truly enjoy it, give us a five star rating and a little, you know, comment about what you think. And we'd love to discuss and answer all your stuff back. Um, our Instagram is Helix and Gene. Uh, and uh, anything else you guys can get in touch with us at Sam at Helix and com. That's my email. And we'd be uh, I and I can put you guys in touch with Nancy or any other services that are necessary as well. So Nancy really want to thank Thank you. Thank you so much for coming today. We're looking forward to doing another one of these with you in the very, very near future. Well, thank you, Sam. As you can tell, you pushed all my hot buttons. <laughs> I yeah. can't keep talking, but no, it's pretty good. passionate about it. So thank you for uh, the invitation. I enjoyed talking with you this morning. Beautiful. Too. Thank you, Nancy. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.